Welcome to the life of Christ. This is lesson number 14. We're going to pick up where we left off on page 14. In looking at what John said to the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, um, it would become obvious from the incidents that would be recorded later in the Gospels that neither the Pharisees nor the Sadducees actually repented. Again, because of their actions, we, we know they're the ones that were instrumental in getting Jesus on the cross the wrong way. Okay. Now, following this rebuke again, and even though the Jewish leaders rejected his teaching, it led others to ask John questions about what he meant by the phrase, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now, John's teaching on this again is only found in Luke's Gospel. So it says in Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. So we're going to get a bit of teaching from John now. So the people being convicted in their hearts, now isn't that great? Okay, he got them to a place. Remember, he was there to do what? Make the way straight. He was there to prepare the way. It was all crooked before then because of all the crookedness that was going on in the, you know, within the religious leaders. And so John is trying to straighten things out. What a difficult job that would have been, really, when you think about it. Why he had to separate himself from all the synagogues and the temple and everything else. Can you also see that? You know, because it's very hard to change stuff while you're in the middle of it. Sometimes you need to get away from it, and you need to pull people away from something in order for them to be clear of the spiritual atmosphere that is ruling over that place, so that they can actually start hearing what is being said. There's a story. Let me tell you a quick story. I I think you know this story, but let me tell you. I think it's appropriate here. Evangelist, this little guy going out, passing out tracks, witnessing for the Lord. Alright, and so he was in a town which was very interesting. The town, right down the middle of the street, okay, was the border between two separate um, areas, countries, I, I don't know what it was, regions, okay. And so he, he would be, he'd be witnessing on this side and just nothing happens. Nobody would want to know anything about it. They would be throwing all of his pamphlets in the bin as they, as, as they took it off him, you know, out of curtsy and then they throw it. And so, he, you know, he got a little discouraged. So he prayed about it and the Lord said, cross the street. He goes, oh, I don't think it's going to make much difference crossing the street. The Lord said, cross the street. So he crossed the street. Every single person he would hand a pamphlet to, would listen, they would get saved. He was just thinking, what the? He goes, this is great, I'll go back to the other side of the street. Everybody threw it in the bin. And he thought, what is this? And so he'd cross back over, and they get saved. The same person, one time, he, <laughs> okay, he handed this person, this is why it was so funny, he handed the person a pamphlet, because right, he was thinking, oh, there's got to be something going on here. The person looked at it, threw it in the bin. So he ran across the road, okay, got ahead of them on the other side, and waited for them, and so they came past him again, and so he handed them, and so the guy looked at it and went, oh, this is really good, I literally had a conversation with him, and got saved. (laughs) So he said, okay, you know what, something is going on here. And he went to the Lord and he said, what's up? I was a black man, what up? No, (laughs) okay, so... (laughs) So, <laughs> you know what? The Lord led him to the, the scriptures that talk about, in, in Ezekiel and Isaiah especially, spiritual entities that rule over cities. 
and rule over places, which is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, that we you know, wrestle not against flesh and blood, but, but against principalities and powers and so on and so forth. And he, he said, okay, he said, what's the deal? He said, look on the map. That road separates this, let's just say a country, I can't remember, this country from that country. He said, in this country, this power operates, this spirit operates over it. Isn't this incredible? Can you imagine, right up from that road, up in the spiritual dimension, there is a wall. And everybody on this side are being influenced by all the spirits that have permission to be on that side. And every, because of the people there and the sin there. And everybody on the other side of the road gets saved because God's there. Isn't that a hoot? So now, having said that, let me say this. You can understand why John isn't staying with the temple. He's probably standing there and who knows, you know, as a prophet, he might have seen something over that place. And you look at it and you thought, I can't minister here. I start talking here and they're all going to throw me to the wolves. I need to get away from this. I need to get out somewhere where God is. Are you all here? Okay. So again, you know, don't take anything for granted. Everything is there for a reason. We need to see into these things. Understand. Can I just say this as well? There have been church after church after church. And I was tempted with this at one stage. But you know what? Everything in God's time. You know, people that had started ministries and, and they just wouldn't, you know, it just wouldn't grow and it just, just wouldn't do well. And you know what? Somebody had this smart idea, why don't you go across town and start it over here? And I mean, they would just go boom and blossom. You know, pastors, that, <laughs> let's all move. No, <laughs> I, I know, I know God has a time. I know I jumped the gun on that time at one stage, and I'm never doing that again. So we're going to stay with his time and his schedule. Okay? Amen. And you know what? And because I know there's a time and a schedule that I don't compromise what I preach. Just so you know. Okay? And it never will. Because, yeah. Okay. I know God is not wasteful. Amen? Okay. Anyway. So, <laughs> so back to this. So even with churches, same deal. You know, and so if you're listening to this, you know, via the web or whatever, if you're struggling, dude, maybe you need to change location. Let me just talk to the guy who's listening to this right now, okay? You might just need to change your location. might not be you. If it is, you change. If it's not you, still change. You need to go somewhere else, maybe. I'm just saying. All right, back to this. Back to you guys. All right. So here again. Uh, it says, so the people being con- convicted in their hearts asked him, saying, now I'm in Luke 3.10, what shall we do then? Verse 11, he answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, which are shirt-like garments, let him give him who has none, or let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. In short, they were to share their food and clothing with the poor. Alright, with people less fortunate, so to speak. Alright, verse 12, Then the tax collectors, okay, probably the Jewish tax collectors working for the Romans, also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Now, Leon Morris explains that it was a strong temptation to levy more tax than was strictly necessary and to pocket the extra. Because they don't know. They couldn't get on the internet and check, you know. (laughs) Do you understand? you You had to believe the guy that took the taxes. That's how much it was. And the guy goes, oh, for today, it's a hundred bucks. You've got to be kidding. Are you sure? Who are you going to ask? And you walk off thinking, I think I just got ripped off, man. I don't think it was that much. I don't think it was meant to be that much. Are you all here? So, okay. 
Watch now, it's going to bring something out here. So, the, the temptation was, you know, pocket some extra money, all right? So this provoked resentment, especially among the patriotic who, in any case, did not like to see Jews helping Romans by collecting their taxes for them. You're getting the picture. So a vicious circle developed. The more they overtaxed, the more they were hated, and the more they were hated, the more they overtaxed. Did you get that? <laughs> okay. So, John is saying, break the cycle. Alright? He says in verse 13, And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Now you understand why he says that. Okay? He's saying, listen man, stop pocketing stuff, stop ripping people off. I wonder if a guy named Levi was there that day. You know, he's sort of ripping people off. You know who that is, right? He's one day going to change his name. He's going to be known as Matthew and write a gospel. Anyway, I have some stories about that later on. All right, let's get back to this. Verse 14. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone, okay, using violence, or accuse falsely, which was frequently done in an effort to rob people. These people could do whatever they wanted. Do you hear what I'm saying? The, the justice system didn't work so well back then. As Leon Morris puts it, they were in a privileged position over against the general public. Citizens would have little redress when troops used violence or false charges to rob them. In other words, they had nowhere to go and complain. And because it was all money related, John simply says to them, be content with your wages. Do you understand now why he says that in the middle of all of that? So if you didn't know that, you wouldn't understand why he says, don't intimidate or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Like, huh? Okay? He's saying, just like the tax collector, stop ripping people off. You guys stop doing it as well. Except you do it a whole different way. So what's interesting about all this is that not once, now listen to this, get this, not once does John actually ask any of them to leave their jobs. He just wants them to be honest and upright in what they do. Which is all God wants from any of us. Amen? Let me stop there for a minute. All through Bible college, when I was going through Bible college, there was one overriding thought. And that was, you know, if you're really committed to the Lord you'll quit your job and go into the ministry. Ministry is the highest calling. And if you're in ministry, well then, you're at the pinnacle of what God wants you to do and in His perfect will, basically. It was never said like that, but that's exactly what was meant at the end of the day. They would say the fivefold ministry is the highest calling, things like that. People used to say that. That used to irk me. Do you know why? Because I had a fivefold calling and I knew I wasn't any better than anybody else. Everything I did, I did because I had an anointing to do it. It wasn't because I was anything special, God anointed me. I needed to be diligent, but then so do you in your job. And if you're diligent in your job, then you get promoted and God will bless. Amen? And when people come to receive the services they need from you, 
Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be lovely that you're there and they don't get ripped off or they don't get you know, done badly and they walk off having a good experience instead of a bad one? So you know God isn't going to say, everybody quit your jobs and if anybody needs any of those services, you're in trouble. Because there's no godly people there anymore because they all quit their job and went to the ministry. Do you, are you getting this? Amen? So, you know, even John had more sense than that. And if you ever hear that, reject it. Get rid of it, please, okay? Because that's some insecure preacher preaching. Which is why so many people fight for the pulpit. They want to feel important. It's not a place to feel important. That's a job. That's a, if you call to that, you better do it right. Because James says, there is a stricter judgment for those that get up here and influence people. Not greater rewards, stricter judgment. <laughs> Did you all get that? Okay. Alright, let's move on. Okay, so. Once again. Again, John never asked any of them to leave their jobs. He just, again, wants them to be honest and upright. Now, as the Spirit-filled Life Bible puts it, John insisted that repentance was not an abstract theological term or a matter of form and ceremony. Okay? It wasn't an outward thing. Rather, it was a radical change from a self-centered existence of greed, dishonesty, and discontent to a practical expression of moral and ethical relationships with others. Now in the next verse, Luke introduces the thought that people were now wondering if John was the Christ or not. Alright, now, <laughs> one of the churches that I went to, the pastor was going, now we don't know, you know, about reincarnation because of this verse. Okay? Luke 3.15 now, now as the people were in expectation, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, dot, 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 let's leave it there for a minute, alright? Even though John doesn't answer them here, he does so at a separate occasion. It's recorded in the Gospel of John, which we'll look at next for the sake of continuity, okay? Because they're having this thought in their mind. So let's go and answer this thought, is that okay? Well, you don't get a choice. No. <laughs> it's my notes, all right? Okay, so. <laughs> this, is, this is one of those times when you're reading through something and thinking, now we can't go on. We, we need to take that thought and then we need to go and answer it somewhere else. Thank God for all the Gospels. Amen? All right. So the verse that we're going to look at should follow the temptation of Christ. Okay? But we're going to bring it forward and we're going to look at it now. Because it needs to be answered here. In his commentary, R. Kent Hughes introduces the passage we're about to look at and says that the world in John the Baptist's day was in tremendous confusion. In John chapter 1, John had been preaching for over a year. Alright? His ministry had thrown the Palestine world into convulsions. Large multitudes, according to the gospel, had come to hear him and be baptized. Matthew says that even Herod sought him and almost believed. John's world was really whirling. The Lord had been in the wilderness. John had been ministering. Now the religious leaders in Jerusalem sent a delegation, a fact-finding committee. They wanted to know who John was and what was going on. Okay, so that introduces where this comes from. And so in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, we now receive a detailed account of John the Baptist's testimony given to this committee sent by the Sanhedrin. 
with the Apostle John writing. And now, this is the testimony of John. Alright, so here it is. This is his testimony. When the Jews, a term in John's Gospel that often carries a sinister connotation and denotes Jewish people hostile to Jesus. Alright, so he says, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem, alright, that's the home of the Sanhedrin, to make diligent inquiry about this new religious movement, and to ask him, I'm adding things here because the Greek has these implications, but we can't put it all in English. Do you understand? So I'm putting things in so that it'll clear things up for you. Alright. To make diligent inquiry about the new religious, this re- new religious movement, and to ask him, who are you? And more to the point, who are you to be making unfriendly remarks about the Pharisees and Sadducees and be insisting that the children of Abraham have to repent and be cleansed? Are you claiming to be the Christ? That's what's going on. Did you get all of that? And so he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. This is why he goes and says that very statement. Because all of this was behind what they asked him. Okay. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? This shows that the new Malachi's prophecy, which said in Malachi 4.5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. However, we know that even though John went forth in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and Jesus himself said in Matthew 17, 12, Elijah has come already, he was, he was not Elijah, reincarnated. Did you get all that? Okay. And White says, he said firmly, I am not. Okay, so now we're hearing his own testimony. So the question, are you Elijah? He says, I am not. That should be enough. See, don't play mental games with this stuff. Read the book. It'll answer your questions, unless you don't want to hear the answer. Do you hear me? Alright, so they asked him, are you the prophet? Now, he didn't say a prophet, he said the prophet. William MacDonald explains, in Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses had said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, like me, from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. So the Jews remembered this prediction and thought that John might be the prophet mentioned by Moses. And he answered, No. Who was the prophet? We are going to see that at a certain well with a certain woman. Okay? She is going to make the discovery, you're the prophet that was foretold that would be coming. And Jesus wouldn't deny it. Anyway, back to this. So, that's, that's who they're talking about. Okay? They're looking for the Messiah there. Then they said to him, oh, this is going on, isn't it? You can see the little guys writing notes, right? Okay, he said no to this. No, he said no to that as well. Let's go to the next question. Then they said to him, they stopped guessing, right? finally. They said, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. You know, it would have been embarrassing for them to return without an answer. They can't come back and say, well, he's not this and this. They go, well, what is he? Well, we didn't ask that question. Duh. Okay, so they ask. So finally, they ask, what do you say about yourself? Here we go. And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. 
as the prophet Isaiah said. Interesting, isn't it? Notice, he didn't say, I am the son of priestly stock. My daddy was a priest. My mommy was this. I come from the temple background. Blah, blah, blah. He said, watch this. He said, I am the voice. He said, I'm simply a voice. Interesting, isn't it? Are you getting this? What's my job? Crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So he's saying, don't even look at me. Listen to what I'm saying. You guys are coming to find out who I am? I'm telling you, you're asking the wrong question. It's not who I am. It's what am I saying? It's like the guy that's saying, a nuclear bomb is going to fall. They go, well, who are you? And he's going, a nuclear bomb is going to fall. Evacuate the city. Who are you? What is your name? That's the wrong response to what I'm saying. A bomb's going to fall on your head. Get out of here. What are you, stupid? Okay, do you know what I'm trying to say? Are you getting this? That's what's going on. They're going, who are you? What's your name? Where did it go? It's like, shut up. Do you get what I'm saying? Somebody is coming. You guys better be ready. Otherwise, he is going to take you out. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Every time they argued with him, he just sunk their boat. You know, because they didn't learn. He said, make the way straight. Get your life straightened out, guys. Somebody's going to come that's going to be able to see right through you. All your games, all your pretensions, none of that's going to work with this one. He's going to, before you say something, he's going to read your thoughts and answer you. And that's going to frustrate you so much. He's going to show you up for all the falsities and for all the fake and all the stuff that you're doing wrong and been pretending for so long. He's going to show all of that up. So either you repent and be humble when he turns up and receive what he does, or he's going to turn around and know exactly who you are and say to you, you are of your father the devil. That will not be a good day for you. Repent now. Change now before it's too late. Get it? Okay? So he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Alright. So once again, this is a quote from Isaiah 40 and verse 3. That is quoted in every gospel. Alright? And I've given you all the references there. With Leon Morris saying that the point of this quotation is that it gives no prominence to the preacher. He is simply a voice. Not to be seen but only to be heard, with but one thing to say. And that's what it was. Amen? In other words, as we've seen before, John was focused. He let nothing distract him, nor get in his way. He had a job to do, and he would do it without complaining or compromise. And best of all, he stayed true to his calling. Alright, so that's one of the reasons that Jesus said in Luke 7.28, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Amen? That's in in light of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And those fellows wrote a lot of of chapters in their books. Amen? And he says, did John ever write anything? No. And yet he says, from all the prophets there were, he's the best. Interesting, isn't it? We'll see why as we go on as well. In fact, Leon Morris goes on to explain 
that John's real function was not to teach ethics, but to point people to Jesus. He was trying to prepare the way of the Lord by getting people ready to meet the Lord. He was only a voice, but he was a voice proclaiming the Lord's message. Amen? Not his own, but the Lord's message. And as we have seen, the message was, the Messiah is coming. Remove everything in your life that would hinder you from receiving him. Repent of your sins. You getting this? Now when we get to verse 24 of John chapter 1, we find that it is actually wrongly translated. In many cases we read, now those who were sent from the Pharisees, of the few that do translate it correctly, the New International Version comes closest to the original text when it says, in verses 24 and 25, it says there, now some Pharisees who had been sent, that is by the Sanhedrin. So these were not people that were sent from the Pharisees, these were actually Pharisees that were sent. All right. Now, remember the Sanhedrin? Those guys, they, they, were con- they consisted of Pharisees and Sadducees. It was like a ruling government. Do you all remember that? Okay. So the Sanhedrin sent these Pharisees. Verse 25. Question him saying, why then? So these are the Pharisees sent by the Sanhedrin. Okay. Question him and they're saying, why then do you baptize? Watch this. If you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. Boy, isn't that a religious question? Doesn't matter people are repenting. Doesn't matter that God's anointing and God's spirit is there. People are starting to get their lives straight. Huh? People are stopped. They're not cheating people anymore. None of that matters to them. Can you believe this? All they want to know, what gives you the right to baptize? (laughs) Oh, you want to take a rock and just, you know... Here, one of Abraham's descendants. <laughs> okay. You know I got issues with this, don't you? Okay, <laughs> you think? Alright, to explain the discrepancy in verse 24, D.A. Carson offers the following explanation. I'm just going to give this to you. The Pharisees did not control the Sanhedrin and the other Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, okay, to be able to send a delegation like this. They were, however, sufficiently influential that an official delegation from the Sanhedrin could scarcely have been sent without some representation from their wing. Okay, So the reason that there are some Pharisees in there was the Sanhedrin was going to send a delegation out there. For them, they need to get some answers. And the Pharisees said, hey, we want to go too. That was pretty much it. All right? Also, they need to find out what is going on. A big religious movement is happening. People are repenting. Things are going on. There were multitudes in the deserts. What does that tell you? There was a very low attendance in the temple. Did you get that? So somebody gets up in the temple and goes, where are all the people? They're going out to see this dude called John the Baptist. What is he doing? Baptizing people. Under what authority? We didn't give him permission to baptize people. Go out there and find out what's going on. Are you getting this? So that's what's happening here. Okay, Religious people are unbelievable. Unbelievable. To me, they are from the pit of hell. Because they never see the God things that are going on. They always want to know, does it line up with our rules? 
We're not your rules more important than what God is doing. Just a thought. Anyway. And the question they want answered is again brought out in this latter half of verse 25. We're going to have to stop or run out of time. And that is, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now, there is quite an explanation that follows. Because we have run out of time, can we pick up on that and make that what we start off our next lesson with? Is that okay? All right, because we need to talk about some of this stuff. All right. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's pray over this. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you again for this time.